The following audio is by Crossfield Baptist Church. More information about Crossfield Baptist Church is available online at www.crossfieldbaptist.com. Hi there, church family. It's Dave here. I'm glad to be with you, but uh, I'm not supposed to be. I'm supposed to be in Colombia right now. Um, but of course, the COVID virus has prevented a lot of things. And one of those is for me to take holidays and go to Colombia on a short mission trip. Um, and we had planned that Daryl would uh, speak today and for Good Friday and Easter. And since I'm here, uh, Daryl has asked me to follow the series that he has designed titled Good News. And uh, I'm happy to do that with the text that he's given me to do. So we're going to be in John chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, look up John chapter 12 and we'll dive into that in just a bit. I will mention some people have asked um, how they can continue giving um, with the without being able to get together on a Sunday. So I want to give you a phone number if you want to get information from our secretary. Our number is 403-946-5651. You can call that number and Yvonne will help you. Or you can just go to crossfieldbaptist.com slash give. That's crossfieldbaptist.com slash give, and you will find uh, four ways that you can continue to support us. So let's let's dive into God's Word. We're in John chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 12 to 19. And uh, this message is titled, Good News of Hope. Good News of Hope. And this story is all about hope. It practically uh, vibrates and bounces with hope. Um, it speaks to the longings and hopes of our lives for today. It's an offer of hope for you and me, and it's a promise that gives hope from Jesus. Now, in order to understand this, we need to consider the context. I know I'm always saying that, but it's so true. We need to consider what the context is. And these verses can only be understood in the context of the story of Lazarus rising from the dead. And so I want to look at that. In chapter 11, uh, Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus, calls him forth, and Lazarus is raised from the dead after being dead for four days. And this event gives rise to the hope that we read about in chapter 12. In chapter 12, uh, we're reading all about the hope that people have. So let's let's begin with the immediate context, the first 11 verses. We'll kind of read our way through them, get a sense of the mood, the dynamic that's happening there, and then we'll jump into our verses in verse 12. So let's read verse 1 and 2, John 12, 1 and 2. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at table with him. And so you need to picture this atmosphere here. Not too many days earlier, Lazarus was a dead man. Now he's a living man, and Jesus is the one who did this. And so when he comes into town, they want to honor him. Of course they want to honor him. And you can just imagine Martha and Mary in that dynamic. You know, they would peek in once in a while, and there was Lazarus, there was Jesus, and it just, their hearts were just overflowing with excitement and joy. Um, and then we read that in this atmosphere, Mary does something. 
Verse 3, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And so Mary's heart is just so overflowing at the amazing thing that Jesus did for them that she, she had to express that in some extravagant kind of way. And so she pours perfume on his feet and wipes her, his feet dry with her hair. But then we read immediately after that a very different attitude in that environment. And I want to point out to you something, that John records a number of miracles of Jesus, and then he has a habit of immediately recording the response of people, both positive and negative. They stand in contrast to each other, and that's what he's doing here. Mary's response to the miracle is to pour perfume out on Jesus' feet. But Judas has a very different response in verses 4 to 6. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now, this is amazing. Uh, Judas was there when Lazarus was raised from the dead. He saw it with his own eyes. And so now compared to his response um, next to Mary's, he comes across as very ice cold, calculating and hard hearted. And that's what John wants us to see. He wants us to see that unbelief has this kind of characteristic. Then in verses seven and eight, Jesus says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So Jesus is alluding to his crucifixion that's coming in just five days, and he's going to pick that up in our story. All right. Now, John describes right at the end of this another contrasting pair of responses to Jesus. We read in verses 9 to 11, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. And so once again, John is showing us the hard-heartedness of unbelief. They don't doubt there was a resurrection of Lazarus. They just hate Jesus. And it's, it's as if um, John is asking, are you a Mary or are you a Judas? Are you one of the crowd that is intrigued by Jesus and moving towards him? Or are you like the chief priest who dismiss it all? Pick your sides. Who do you align with? All right, now we get into our verses. The next day, and so you see there's a link there, a time link. The next day, this verse starts. So Jesus walks a few kilometers from Bethany to Jerusalem. The excited crowd who have been excited about what he did for Lazarus is going with him to Jerusalem. And as they arrive, another crowd is coming out of Jerusalem. 
Uh, they've been alerted to the fact that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. They've been alerted to the fact that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. And so this crowd comes out to meet the crowd coming from Bethany. And this crowd is huge. And it's huge because it's Passover week. And uh, during Passover, there were between 100 or 150,000 extra people in Jerusalem. And they were on holidays. They were um, abuzz with excitement. And the crowd is really worked up. Now, why are they really worked up? Well, it's because it's Passover. And during Passover, they remember how God had delivered them from bondage in Egypt through a deliverer, Moses. And now they are waiting for a Messiah who will deliver them from Roman occupation and make all their problems go away. And here comes Jesus. The news about him has gone viral. Everybody is talking about him. He can raise the dead. He can make blind people see. He can make deaf people hear. He can walk on water. He can feed a crowd of people with five loaves and two fish. He can do anything. He must be the Messiah. And he can do anything for us. He can save us. Now, they are a mosh pit of hope. They are just buzzing with hope. They welcome Jesus as a conquering king. They wave palm branches in the air. That's a nationalistic symbol for a conqueror, a general coming in triumphantly. They acknowledge him as their national king. Blessed is the king of Israel, they say. And they shout, Hosanna, or Lord, save. In other words, they are goading him into action. That's what's happening here. So I want to ask you three questions. The first question is this. Does Jesus give you a little hope? Does Jesus give you a little hope? Jesus came to people who needed hope. They were like us. Uh, they had struggles in life. Uh, they experienced gloom. They experienced hardship. They, they were oppressed. Um, they were uh, weary. Uh, they, they got sick like us. They lost loved ones like us. Uh, they experienced guilt and shame and, and all that kind of stuff. They needed some hope. And uh, they took a little hope from Jesus. In verses 12 and 13, we read this. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. You can see they're very excited. And so when people heard that Jesus uh, was on their way, they were filled with some hope. They were looking for help and what he could do for them. You know, maybe he will solve the heavy problems I have in my life. Maybe he will take away my stress. Maybe he'll look after my finances. Maybe he'll heal my diseases. You know, maybe he'll He'll give, give me peace and joy. Can you relate to that? Do you ever want a little hope from God? We could all use a little hope. And they wanted. They wanted hope from God. And you know, 
This was the constant response. This is what people always wanted from Jesus when they saw his miracles. They wanted some hope. And so, for example, in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And the people were amazed at this. And immediately, we read, they tried to force him to become their king. And you remember Jesus backed away from this. Jesus really said, you're looking for me because I gave you some physical bread. I want to give you spiritual bread, my body and my blood poured out for you as your spiritual food. My hope for you is much bigger than your hope for yourselves. Now, people often turn to God or to Jesus when they need hope. I mean, we hear that he can do anything. We we understand that he loves us. We believe that he hears us when we pray and we earnestly want him to help us. I know right now in your heart, there's something, if, if Jesus would just do it for you. Oh, if you could just go live on a beach for a while, wouldn't that be nice? I feel like that sometimes too. We all could use some hope. Now, interestingly, Jesus doesn't throw up his hands and say, what do you think I am? You're genie in a bottle. I'm just going to grant all your wishes for you. He doesn't do that. Uh, he actually accepts the welcome of the people. He joins the parade. He encourages the ongoing celebration as if to say, I hear your ex expectations. But then he goes on to say, but they're not quite spot on. And he does this. He communicates that they're out of step with his plan by taking an action that we could call a prophetic action. That is some action that communicates a message out to them. He wants to give them a lot of hope. He wants to give them a lot of hope. Does Jesus give you a little hope or a lot of hope? <laughs> because we find in verses 14 and 16 that Jesus wants to give them a lot of hope. Now, the shouting and dancing, the churning crowd, the, the singing mob had hope, but their hope was too small. It was less than what Jesus wanted to give them. So how, how could he correct them? How could he communicate to them and tell them that they were getting this wrong? The crowd was too big, too loud, too disruptive. And so against this racket, he takes this action that we read in verses 14 to 16. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. In other words, it was only after Jesus had died, was raised from the dead, and ascended into glory that the disciples are sitting around one day and one of them suddenly he goes, John, I just realized something. Do you remember that day Jesus went into Jerusalem on a donkey the week before he died? Well, that's what the prophet said. 
that your king comes on a donkey. And it just made sense to them. So the people can't hear him, but they can see him. They can see him. And so he mounts a lowly donkey. He's not going to enter the city on a white stallion like some conquering general, but he's going to come in on a humble donkey. And Jesus is saying, I'm not what you expect. I'm not coming to conquer the Romans. I am not a military general. I came to conquer something that is far worse than anything in your life right now. It's far more important that I conquer that. And to do that, I have to be a humble king. Now, Jesus always thought this way, even when he was healing people. And so you remember the story, uh, Mark chapter 4, I think, tells this story, where um, there's a man who's paralyzed. His friends want him uh, to be healed by Jesus. So they tear open a roof because there's too many people crowding around Jesus. They remove the thatch, the dust is falling down. Jesus is looking up and then through the roof comes this man on a cot in front of Jesus. And Jesus surprises everybody. They know what is expected. Jesus surprises everybody by looking at him and saying, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, why did he say that? Well, he said that because what this man needed more than ever being able to walk again was to have his sins forgiven. No matter how bad our sufferings are, the penalty of sin is far worse. The alienation from God is far worse. And Jesus is saying, listen, if I answered all your little hopes the way you want me to, and you would still die in your sins. You might be healthy and happy for a short life, but you would not be happy for an eternity. You would still die in your sins. You would still be guilty before God. You'd go on to an eternity without God. And I've come to solve all your problems forever. That's why I've come. I've come to do it by eliminating the guilt sentence against you by taking it on myself. A conquering king doesn't do that. A humble king does. And so Jesus is saying, if you believe, one day you'll never be sick again. One day you'll never be sad. One day you'll never worry. One day you'll never lose sleep out of stress. One day you'll never suffer loss again. One day you'll never feel guilt or shame. If you believe, one day the new is going to come and the old is going to go. One day, if you believe, you will live in a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. That's what I want. I want to give you a lot of hope. Now, you and I often want the first Jesus more than we want the second Jesus. <laughs> We're feeling it now. And we long for the Messiah to be total Messiah right now. Do something right now. Jesus wants to give us a far greater hope. And that's what he meant, by the way, when he talked about the perfume that had been poured out on him and when he talked about his burial. That's what he's referring to. That's what he was always aiming for, to give us a lot of hope. All right, next thing I want us to think about 
is does Jesus give you a little hope or does he give you a lot of hope or does Jesus give you any hope? This is an important question. This is a serious question. Does Jesus give you any hope? John closes his account with these conflicting responses one more time. Uh, there are those who see all this and they move towards Jesus. There are those who hear about the resurrection of Lazarus and they back away. We read about this in verses 17 to 19. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, they hadn't seen it, but they heard about it, much as you and I have heard about it, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look at how the whole world has gone after him. They were disgusted. So notice, some people heard about this sign that Jesus performed this miracle, raising Lazarus from the dead, and they chose to move in on Jesus. They chose to come closer. They wanted to see him. They wanted to examine him. They wanted to hear him. They wanted to understand him. They moved closer. But then there were the Pharisees. They heard the same thing, and they chose to dismiss it. Now listen, this happens every day in our world. People either hear and move in, or they hear and back away. Which are you? That's what John is asking us. Which are you? Are you moving in, or are you moving away? And in John's writing, you can see he is making it more and more clear because the reaction of moving away from Jesus becomes more and more incomprehensible that people would move away from Jesus. John is communicating that unbelief is hard-heartedness and absolutely absurd. Why would you not put some trust in someone who can raise the dead? What could we ask for more in life than someone who gives us help in the face of death, who can conquer death? And he's done it. Why would you not give him a chance? That's what John wants us to think about. And so John describes these opposite responses as if um, to say, make your choice. Which group do you align with? Which direction are you going to go? Are you going to meet him or are you going to back away? Now, I want to just leave you with two questions that you might want to discuss uh, around your table or I know some of you are meeting in small Zoom chat rooms. And so here's a couple of questions that you can think of and you'll probably think of some better ones. But here's the first one. How am I like the crowd who met Jesus coming into Jerusalem. How much am I like the crowd who met Jesus coming into Jerusalem? You know those people who were excited about Jesus, looking forward to him, uh, solving their problems and being an immediate all-in-one package deal Messiah right now. How much are you like them? Those people who five days later were so disappointed in Jesus, they turned their backs on him, they crucified him. How much are you and I like that? Secondly, how much do I believe in the great 
hope Jesus came to give? Does it sustain me when he's not being full Messiah right now? Does that hope sustain me? Do I believe in it? I'm going to close with prayer, and I'll ask that you would pray with me. Our Father, I am so grateful that you looked upon a fallen, broken, hurting, evil, wicked world, and you had compassion on us. You sent your Son into the world uh, to give hope. Father, we often center on those hopes that are immediate, and our idea of heaven isn't that important to us. We pray that you'd help us to um, appreciate what Jesus has come to do to give us hope. We ask this grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio by Crossfield Baptist Church. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. More information about Crossfield Baptist Church is available online at www.crossfieldbaptist.com.